So I had a sermon that I was going to work on this week for my next time preaching. So I started that yesterday. And this is what I got. So I like it. <laughs> it's, you know, you just read, your, you're like, man, God, okay, I get it. He's, he hits me first, and then it's like, all right, I want to share it. I want to share it because it's hitting me hard. Um, so here we go. One of my favorite things is doing youth ministry. I've loved youth ministry ever since I was a youth. Our youth group GPS, half of them are sitting over here. Our leaders are awesome. There's Abby, there's Max, there's Cam. Where's Cam? He's floating around somewhere. These guys give till it hurts. They're just incredible givers. And one of our favorite topics at our church's youth group is Jesus. Weird, right? But <laughs> one of our second favorite topics to talk about is dating. I don't know why. They shouldn't be even thinking about that. But I was recently talking with the youth about what it was like for me to date back in the day, back when texting was done in code through pagers. <laughs> that was a laugh from all the people that have done that. Whoa, 10 is a J. <laughs> uh, long story if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I told them that... Uh, Whenever I would start a dating relationship and it became official, except for with Danielle, I would always have this panic attack. Like once it was official, I, I'm a terrible human being. But the reason was because I knew in the back of my head that however great things were at that moment, they would be inversely and exponentially worse when we broke up. So if the start of the relationship was a positive 10, everything is nice, everything is happy, the end of it, it would be a negative 1,000. It would just, oh, I see quiet heads going like this. So I found that when it came to dating, I was more interested in accepting possibilities rather than responsibilities. Uh, I was all, it always seemed like a great idea until the honeymoon phase was over and the work kicked in. Does everybody know that work eventually has to kick in in relationships? It's weird. I don't know why it's like that. Now, that's obvious for all other relationships, except for the one with my wonderful wife, Danielle. I have to say that because she might listen to this. <laughs> I'm calling today's message acceptance responsibilities. Not accepting, but acceptance responsibilities because I'm talking about the responsibilities that come with acceptance. When you accept something, responsibilities follow. I want to look at a popular verse in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Did you hear that? He's going to heal our land. That's nice because it's broken. Are you excited about that? He just said it. It's in the word of God. He's going to heal our land. No questions asked. No strings attached, right? No, you got to read the whole verse, right? We can all accept healing all day long. We're big fans of it. But there are some responsibilities that came with this healing. And those responsibilities came to prevent the need for a future healing. We need to humble ourselves and we need to turn from our wicked ways. And I look at it kind of like when you fix your kid's bike, because they left it in the driveway, and you ran over it. Not that I've ever done that, but my dad did. Um, so your dad says, I will fix it, but I want you to stop doing what contributed to the damage in the first place. I will fix this, but keep it out of my driveway. 
It's not a bike way. So God is saying that your responsibility now is to stop doing the things that you'll need forgiveness and healing for later. All right? Does all, does all make sense? All right. So that got me thinking about, um, remember I told you guys that I was in the process of buying and selling a house? We were going through all that, the relocation. Well, we finally got an offer accepted. Applause. Okay. We were accepted. It was such a wonderful thing. I'm like, this is, this is a beautiful word. You're accepted. We accept your offer. You can have the house. But let me tell you, acceptance sounds good. And don't get me wrong, I'm extremely grateful, but it's deceptive. Oh, I got a right out there. That's good. Acceptance means you are now responsible for an unreal amount of paperwork. We killed a tree, y'all. We have paperwork up to our eyeballs. I've written my name so many times I forgot what it is. And we're going to do that all the way up until we close. And then once we close, everything is going to be easy, right? No, there's responsibilities. It means I will have the responsibilities of owning a home, such as fixing and updating and trying to plan a vacation to get away from my home because I'm going to be sick of being there with all the work I'm putting into it. And then there's the beautiful mortgage payment. Everybody say, mm, I love mortgage. <laughs> Nobody says that. Do you know what? I was talking to the first service about this. You could tell when somebody's paid off their mortgage and they're like mortgage free. They just got a glow about them. And it's like, why are you so happy? Oh, I don't have a mortgage. <laughs> oh, world's falling down around you and you don't have a mortgage. I see you're still happy. That's great. So I'm feeling grateful and I'm excited, but I have to be honest that acceptance feels good, but it has these responsibilities, and these responsibilities can be overwhelming at times. So whether it's accepting a new job, getting accepted into a school, buying a home, a new dating relationship, acceptance brings responsibilities. But what about us as believers in Jesus Christ? Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. That's how that works. Isaiah 53 verse 5 but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. There is responsibility that comes with acceptance. And I don't want this to be cons uh, confused with earning salvation. I'm not saying anything like that. Accepting salvation from Jesus is a free gift stated all throughout Scripture. He did not put a price tag on it. It was once done for everybody, anytime, come to it and take it. It's free. That's, I don't ever want that to be confused. I'm not talking about earning that. I'm talking about responsibility. And that meaning is being accountable for something within your power. Okay? Accountable for something within your power. There is something about Jesus that the world desperately needs from us as his followers. There's something that we have that they need. There's uh, all kinds of examples throughout the New Testament, but it's stated really clear for us in John chapter 1. And I, I'm going to read this, and I want you to listen really carefully because you're going to hear it in here, and this is where we're going to go, okay? So the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, 
This is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. I'm going to say that so much you'll probably get sick of it, but you'll never forget it. In the same way, I'll be responsible as a new homeowner for mortgage and maintenance. We as Christians are responsible for showing grace and sharing truth. I used to bake a pie when I was younger, but you didn't expect me to say that. And I would brag about my pie because my pie was better than everybody else's pie because my mom taught me how to make my pie, so take it up with her. This pie was so good, I would brag about it. And my friends, being the good friends that they were, they were like, prove it. I said, all right. So I'm going to go bake a pie. So I go home, get the ingredients together, and I bake this pie. I bake the mess out of this pie. This was going to be the best pie. I was going to make them eat their words and my pie. All warm, gooey. It was a chocolate chip cookie pie. There's nothing wrong about the words that I just said. Chocolate chip cookie pie. They go together good, and then they're warm? Amen. So I bring it, and I'm ready to explode. I'm like, I can't wait. Heaven's going to open up. We're all getting raptured in this moment. This is going to be so good. This pie is so good. And they look some disappointment, and they're like, it ain't all that. I'm like, you're out of your mind. Let me eat my pie. I took a bite, and I was like, oh, no. And it's one of those moments where you're like, I know what happened. I left out an ingredient. I didn't apply butter. Butter makes everything so good. Butter, bacon, avocado, those are things that you can put in anything and they're always better. I didn't put the butter in. I understand why my friends were disappointed in me. I was disappointed in me. I was ashamed. I said, let me get a redo. And they're like, no. I'm not friends with them anymore. (laughs) Why am I telling you this? I'm just hungry. Uh, (laughs) No, ingredients are important. What's important to see is when we look at Jesus was that he wasn't part grace and part truth. He was all grace and all truth. Those are two ingredients that he was 100%. I feel like it's easy for us to adopt a grace-truth ratio. Uh, Some people lean more towards one versus the other. Like 30% grace and 70% truth is where we show a little compassion, but we like to shove rules down people's throats. That, no? Okay. Uh, Nobody's going to raise their hand on that one. Or there's the 80% grace and the 20% truth, where we know what's right, but we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings by being honest. You guys are quiet on that one. Now, obviously, both of these elements are important. But just what is the balance? What's the proper relationship between the two? Truth without grace leads to legalism. Truth is good advice, but people need more. They need the good news of grace. Grace is not tolerance, and it is not lowering standards. Grace can seem too easy and too cheap. The problem is that our pride drives us to insist on doing something to earn what we don't deserve. All God really asks of us is to have gratitude and a heart willing to show grace to others as freely as we have received it. 
We're the ones that go around with the price gun, though, and sticking stickers on it, though, don't we? Could you imagine what the church could do if we imitated Christ by being 100% grace and 100% truth? My head hurts trying to think about that because I think that it would be so epic and the world wouldn't be able to contain it. It would just be that cool. We see this mentality modeled by Jesus a lot throughout Scripture, and I think it's easy to miss if we're not really focusing in on it. So I want to take a few minutes, and I want to look at John chapter 8, and we're going to start with verse 1. And I want to look at how Jesus takes an opportunity to change the world by showing 100% grace, 100% truth combined into one action. So it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, these are the smart aleck know-it-alls, all right? And they're also very threatened by Jesus because he's winning the crowds. So they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Could you imagine if your church brought you to the front of the crowd because of what you had done wrong? I'd go church shopping, and I work here. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And I believe this is very symbolic of the world we live in. The world's moral compass has gone haywire, and they're looking for true north. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, you're a Christian, right? What do you think about such and such? Or what are your thoughts on this? Or the best one, you're a Christian, right? Who'd you vote for? It's a reason it's a secret ballot, dude. I believe that the world wants a reason to crucify us, but I think at the same time they also want us to save them. I think they want to reject what we have, but I think they also want what we have. And I think what we have that they don't have is hope. And I think it's a peculiar idea for somebody that's feeling hopeless. What is it about you? What is hope? Help me understand that. So back to the woman in the crowd. The truth is, they were allowed to kill her. By their laws, it was fully acceptable. But the question is, what do you think we should do, Jesus? Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. So next time somebody's trying to trap you with something that you don't want to answer, just take a knee like Jesus and... Play in the dirt. <laughs> Every time I read this, I'm like, I've read the whole story, but I get to that point, and I'm like, he's so weird. <laughs> but he's a good weird. You know the good weird where you're just like, I didn't know he was going to do that, but I like that he did it. <laughs> so this verse, it just, it just screams to me. Every time I read it, Jesus had the answer, but part of his answer was the timing of the delivery. It's like a good comedian. They know how to deliver it. They know that timing. I think that we can be quick to respond just because we know the answer. But hearing an answer and having the answer revealed are two different things. Do you know what I'm saying? You can tell me how to do something and I'll hear you, but if you take a minute and allow me to internalize it and digest it, I'll understand it, and when I understand it, I'll own it. Jesus wants everyone involved in this situation, the Pharisees, this woman, the entire crowd, he wants 
everyone in this situation to own this lesson. Because, man, when Jesus writes in the dirt, y'all better listen up. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again, and he said, all right. Now, you ever think about that when you read that? He says, all right. Is that, is, what all right is that? Is that all right, go ahead and kill her? Or is that all right, I'm about to say something? Because if I was that woman, I would be having a panic attack. What are you saying, Jesus? Hold on a minute. All right, what? And here's my, one of my favorite words in Scripture, but. Man, when you, when you see that word, but, something good's about to happen. But. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. That's Jesus right there. Then he stooped down again or wrote in the dust. He's got to finish his picture, obviously. Now, we never find out what Jesus was writing or what he was drawing. He could be making his grocery list or he could be doing holy doodles or writing the secrets of the universe. Who knows? But I had this one preacher I was listening to a long time ago, and he, he had an idea. He says, what if Jesus was writing down the sins of the accusers in the crowd? What if he was writing down what they were guilty of? Because the verse after that says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. I know I would have been like, <laughs> divert the attention. So they, started, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. That's grace. Go and sin no more. That's truth. Boom. I told you he was cool. He didn't just save her life, which he did, but he saved her soul. He stopped the rocks from flying, but he also gave her the direction to heaven. Sin no more. Jesus didn't tell her that everything she did was okay. It's obvious that it wasn't because it almost got her killed. But he also didn't beat her up about it. He didn't need to drive that over and over and over. Look, look how bad you are. Look how terrible you are. You see what you did? You see what you got yourself into? He didn't do that. Reading this story again, I saw something new. I always focus on the relationship between Jesus and the woman. But what about the relationship between Jesus and the crowd? Now, we always look at it and we're like, boom, Jesus tore him up. Jesus knew they were trying to trap him. And he knew that none of them were perfect. So instead of hammering them and chewing them out, he gave them this this. He gives the situation, but he also gives them time. He showed them grace by not coming at them and giving them the opportunity to walk away. But he also gave them truth in this one phrase, whoever is without sin can go first, can throw the first stone. You know, and I look at this situation and I think about, you know, our lives and how we would feel. When we're right, we like to be right. And we don't want to make sure everybody heard that we were right. So in this situation, I think Jesus was well in his rights to be like, you know what you were doing, you know what you were doing, you know what you were doing. Oh, where are you going? Come back here. I got some stuff for you. Because I think we'd all be in that camp, right? Anybody? Yeah. But did you see how patient he was? He didn't do that. One phrase. If you're without sin, throw the first stone and then time. And slowly people are starting to realize, I can't pick up a stone. And they scoot off. 
what a cool interaction he had with them. What does that tell them? And they're probably thinking he could have got me. If he would have spilled the beans about my life, oh my gosh, I would have been getting hit with stones. What I want to point out to you is Jesus didn't share his opinion or his personal feelings. He delivered straight truth. What's the possible outcome for our world if we accept this responsibility of administering grace and truth? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and they're going to close us. But I want to share a story with you guys real quick. Um, So I want to think about that question. What's the possibility? What is the possible outcome of our world if we accept the responsibility of administering grace and truth 100%? I was 23 years old, and I... I made a mistake at work. I was an apprentice electrician, and the mistake I made was big. I don't like saying that I make mistakes. Nobody likes confessing that, but you got to know that I did. And the mistake was one of those where somebody could have gotten hurt pretty bad, and I hate, hate admitting that. But what, what's great about my story is the foreman I was working with, he took a few minutes and he explained what I had done wrong and how the outcome of my actions could have seriously harmed somebody. That was the truth. But he also took the time to instruct me on what I needed to change in the way that I approached my job. Okay, he, he instructed me how to change the way I viewed my job, the way that I did my job. Not just what I was doing, but the how. And he did that so that I could not make that same mistake, so I could change my mindset. He was gracious enough to set me straight with the truth. And I... It's one of those things where it was 16 years ago, and I can still remember the conversation like it was yesterday. And I remember where it was. I remember his name. I remember the building. I remember the project. I remember every single detail of it. But what stood out to me the most is that I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I don't know about his relationship with God. But the way that he interacted with me was so compassionate. Like, hey, man, you messed up bad. And the reason you messed up bad is because you're not paying attention to what you're doing. Where's your mind? Where's your head? And by doing that and taking that time with me and saying, are you really thinking about what you're doing? I changed the way that I looked at my job. And that is a lesson that I was able to carry on to other people. And I think for us as Christians, that's our responsibility to others is not to put them on blast, not to beat them up, but to usher them in a direction with love of how are you looking at life right now? We all know somebody where we're like, man, I wish they would stop doing this. I wish they would change this. This is not a healthy behavior. Do we love enough to show truth? But do we love enough to show truth with grace? So as we're closing, I want you to think about that. Who in your life needs the truth? And who in your life needs some grace? The worship team is going to close with a song. And I want you just to take that time during worship just to focus on God and just to surrender to him and say, God, am I given both or am I lopsided? Because I want to be a balanced Christian. I want to be a balanced Christian that shows your light, that shows your love, that shows your grace, that shows your truth, that shows the full package of Christ because he's so awesome and I don't want the world to get misinformation about him because we're not taking our time, because we're too quick to answer. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand. You can, if you want to come down to the altar and pray and kneel and spend some time with God, feel free to do that. Um, I'm going to close in prayer and I'll turn it over to you guys. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the example of grace and truth that came through your son. 
And Lord, this morning, we just surrender our hearts to you as we close the service and worship, and we just surrender to you and ask that you'd begin to give us revelation, give us vision, give us an understanding, and painfully give us patience to be that person that you want us to be, administering grace and truth in Jesus' name. Amen.